Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 13 of The Moon Maid by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Chapter 13. Death Within and Without. As rapidly as I could, I made my way from the palace of Kota and upward terrace by terrace, toward the palace of the Jemadar. I had never presented myself at Sakroth's palace since Nahila had so grievously offended me. I did not even know the customary procedure to follow to gain an audience with the emperor. But nevertheless, I came boldly to the carven gates and demanded to speak with the officer in command of the guards. When he came, I told him that I desired to speak either with Sakroth or the princess Nahila at once, upon a matter of the most urgent importance. Wait, he said, and I will take your message to the Jemadar. He was gone for what seemed to me a very long time, but at last he returned, saying that Sagrath would see me at once, and I was conducted through the gates and into the palace, toward the small audience chamber in which Sagrath had once received me so graciously. As I was ushered into the room, I found myself facing both Sagrath and Mari. The attitude of the Jemadar seemed apparently judicial, but that of the princess was openly hostile. "'What are you doing here, traitor?' she demanded, without waiting for Sagroth to speak, and at the same instant a door upon the opposite side of the room burst open, and three warriors leaped into the apartment with bared swords. They wore the livery of Kota, and I knew instantly the purpose for which they had come. Drawing my own sword, I leaped forward. I have come to defend the life of the Jemadar and his princess, I cried, as I sprang between them and the advancing three. What means this? demanded Sagroth. How dare you enter the presence of your Jemadar with drawn sword? They are the assassins of Kota, come to slay you, I cried. Defend yourself, Sagroth of Lathe. And with that, I tried to engage the three until help arrived. I am no novice with the sword. The art of fencing has been one of my chief diversions since my cadet days in the air school, and I did not fear the Lathians, though I knew that, even were they but mediocre swordsmen, I could not for long withstand the assaults of three at once. But upon this point I need not have concerned myself, for no sooner had I spoken than Sagroth's sword leaped from its scabbard, and placing himself at my side, he fought nobly and well in defense of his life and his honor. One of our antagonists merely tried to engage me, while the other two assassinated the Jemadar, and so, seeing that he was playing me, and that I could do with him about as I pleased, if I did not push him too hard, I drove him back a few steps, until I was close at the side of one of those who engaged Sagroth. Then, before any could know my intention, 
I wheeled and lunged my sword through the heart of one of those who opposed the father of Naila. So quickly had I disengaged my former antagonist, so swift my lunge, that I had recovered and was ready to meet the renewed assaults of the first who had engaged me, almost before he realized what had happened. It was man against man now, and the odds were even. I had no opportunity to watch Sagroth, but from the ring of steel on steel I knew that the two were bitterly engaged. My own man kept me well occupied. He was a magnificent swordsman, but he was only fighting for his life. I was fighting for more, for my life and for my honor too, since after the word traitor that Naila had hurled at me, I had felt that I must redeem myself in her eyes. I did not give any thought at all to the question as to just why I should care what Naila the Moon Maid thought of me, but something within me reacted mightily to the contempt that she had put into that single word. I could catch an occasional glimpse of her standing there behind the massive desk at which her father had sat upon the first occasion of my coming to this chamber. She stood there very tense, her wide eyes fixed upon me in evident incredulity. I had almost worn my man down, and we were fighting now so that I was facing Naila, with my back toward the doorway through which the three assassins had entered. Sagroth must have been more than holding his own, too, for I could see his opponent slowly falling back before the older man's assaults. And then there broke above the clang of steel a girl's voice, Naila's, raised in accents of fear. Julian, beware, behind you, behind you. At the instant of her warning, the eyes of my antagonist left mine, which, for his own good, they never should have done, and passed in a quick glance over my shoulder at something or someone behind me. His lack of concentration cost him his life. I saw my opening the instant that it was made, and with a quick lunge I passed my blade through his heart. Whipping it out again, I wheeled to face a dozen men springing into the chamber. They paid no attention to me, but leaped toward Sagroth, and before I could prevent, he went down with half a dozen blades through his body. Upon the opposite side of the desk from us was another doorway directly behind Naila, and in the instant that she saw Sagroth fall, she called to me in a low voice, Come, Julian, quick, or we too are lost. Realizing that the Jemadar was dead, and that it would be folly to remain and attempt to fight this whole roomful of warriors, I leaped to the desk and followed Naila through the doorway beyond. There was a cry then from someone within the room to stop us, but Naila wheeled and slammed the door in their faces as they rushed forward, fastened it upon our side, and then turned to me. Julian, she said, how can you ever forgive me? You who have risked your life for the Jemadar, my father, in spite of the contemptible treatment that in my ignorance I have accorded you. I could have explained, I said, but you would not let me. Appearances were against me, and so I cannot blame you for thinking as you did. It was wicked of me not to listen to you, Julian, but I thought that Kota had won you over, as he has won over even some of the staunchest friends of Sakroth. You might have known, Naila, that even could I have been disloyal to your father, I never could have been disloyal to his daughter. I did not know, she said. How could I? There suddenly came over me a great desire to take her in my arms and cover those lovely lips with kisses. I could not tell why this ridiculous obsession had seized upon me, nor why of a sudden I became afraid of little Naila the Moon Maid. I must have looked very foolish indeed, standing there looking at her, 
and suddenly I realized how fatuous I must appear, and so I shook myself and laughed. Come, Naila, I said, we must not remain here. Where can I take you, that you will be safe? Upon the outer terrace there may be some of the loyal guards, she replied, but if Kota has already taken the palace, flight will be useless. From what I know of the conspiracy, it will be useless, I replied, for the service of Sagroth at his palace is rotten with the spies and retainers of the Jabadar. I feared as much, she said. The very men who came to assassinate Sagroth wore the imperial livery less than an Ola since. Are there none, then, loyal to you? I asked her. The Jemadar's guard is always loyal, she said, but they number scarce a thousand men. How may we summon them? I asked. Let us go to the outer terraces, and if there are any of them there, we can congregate the balance, or as many of them as Kota has left alive. Come then, I said, let us hasten. And together, hand in hand, we ran along the corridors of the Jemadar's palace to the outer terraces of the highest tier of lay. There we found a hundred men, and when we had told them of what had happened within the palace, they drew their swords, and surrounding Naila, they shouted, To the death for Naila! Jemadav of Lathe. They wanted to remain there and protect her, but I told them that there would be nothing gained by that, that sooner or later they would be overwhelmed by far greater numbers, and the cause of Naila lost. Send a dozen men, I said to their commander, to rally all of the loyal guards that remain alive. Tell them to come to the throne room, ready to lay down their lives for the new Jemadav, and then let the dozen continue on out into the city, rallying the people to the protection of Naila. As for us, we will accompany her immediately to the throne room, and there place her upon the throne and proclaim her ruler of Lathe. A hundred men may hold the throne room for a long time, if we reach it before Kotar reaches it with his forces. The officer looked at Naila questioningly. Your command, Javadar, he inquired. We will follow the plan of Julan the Javadar, she replied. Immediately, a dozen warriors were dispatched to rally the imperial guard and arouse the loyal citizens of the city to the protection of their new Jemadav, while the balance of us conducted Naila by a short course toward the throne room. As we entered the great chamber at one end, Kota and a handful of warriors came in at the other, but we had the advantage in that we entered through a doorway directly behind the throne and upon the dais. Throw your men upon the main entrance, I called to the officer of the guard, and hold it until reinforcements come. And then, as the hundred raced the length of the throne room toward the surprised and enraged Kota, I led Naila to the central throne and seated her upon it. Then, stepping forward, I raised my hand for silence. The Jemadar Sagroth is dead, I cried. Behold Naila, the Jemadar of Lathe. Stop, cried Kota. She may share the throne with me, but she may not possess it alone. Take that traitor, I called to the loyal guard, and they rushed forward, evidently glad to do my bidding. But Kotar did not wait to be taken. He was accompanied by only a handful of men, and when he saw that the guard really intended to seize him and realized that he would be given short shrift at the hands of Naila and myself, he turned and fled. But I knew he would come back, and come back he did, though not until after the majority of the Jemadov's guard had gathered within the throne room. He came with a great concourse of warriors, and the fighting was furious, but he might have brought a million men against our thousand, and not immediately have overcome us, 
since only a limited number could fight at one time in the entranceway to the throne room. Already the corpses lay stacked as high as a man's head, yet no single member of Kota's forces had crossed the threshold. How long the fight was waged I do not know, but it must have been for a considerable time, since I know that our men fought in relays and rested many times, and that food was brought from other parts of the palace to the doorway behind the throne, and there were times when Kota's forces withdrew and rested and recuperated, but always they came back in greater number, and eventually I realized we must be worn down by the persistence of their repeated attacks. And then there arose slowly a deep-toned sound, at first we could not interpret, it rose and fell in increasing volume until finally we knew that it was the sound of human voices, the voices of a great mob, of a mighty concourse of people, and that it was sweeping toward us slowly and resistlessly. Closer and closer it approached the palace as it rose, terrace upon terrace, toward the lofty pinnacle of Lave. The fighting at the entrance of the throne room had almost ceased. Both sides were worn down almost to utter exhaustion. And now we but stood upon our arms, upon either side of the wall of corpses that lay between us, our attention centered upon the sound of the growling multitude that was sweeping slowly upward toward us. They come, cried one of Naila's nobles, to acclaim the new Jemadav and to tear the minions of Kota the traitor to pieces. He spoke in a loud voice that was easily audible to Kota and his retainers in the corridor without. They come to drag the spawn of Sagroth from the throne, cried one of Kotar's followers. And then from the throne came the sweet, clear voice of Naila. Let the people's will be done, she said. And thus we stood, awaiting the